0: Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions, because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning. Frank
1: Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, here on Zoomer Radio. Uh, Let's welcome our master gardener, Charlie Dobbin as she checks in from her home in Prince Edward County. Hi there, Charlie.
2: Hey, Frankie. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that we had a break in the hot, muggy weather we've had to endure for so long. It just feels like months, even though it's only been weeks. And the best part, we actually had several hours of rain here.
1: Yeah, oh boy. Uh, last month uh, has been a sweltering July of historic proportions. And, and there is data to prove that, isn't there? That's
2: right. It will go on record as the hottest July in Toronto since Environment Canada began data collection 84 years ago at Pearson Airport.
1: You know, we better make sure that folks know that this show was recorded last Tuesday. And maybe right now, as you look out the window, and if the weather (laughs) forecasters have it right, Today, Saturday, we'll see more sunny hot weather. And that brings up the subject that might be top of mind for gardeners out there, how to tend to plants in extremely hot conditions. So Charlie, how do plants cope with heat once temps begin to soar? Well, Frank, as I'm sure you know, some plants like cacti and the
2: succulents, they're well equipped with for handling heat. They conserve water in their fleshy leaves and in their fleshy stems. But the majority of plants do not have this luxury, so therefore they normally um, they normally will suffer from intense heat, um, when, you know, in one way or the other. Generally, heat stress in a plant will show itself because the plant will wilt, so the the leaves will all start to to sort of sag off of the plant. And that tells you that water loss has taken place. So if people ignore this wilting plant, the condition will worsen, and the plants will eventually just dry up, turn a crunchy brown color, and, and eventually dry, uh, just die. Um, in some, But, you know, keep in mind, though, some plants will go dormant before they die. Like our lawns are a good example of that. I say our lawns. I don't currently have a lawn, but for people that have lawns, they're, <laughs> they're yellow. It doesn't mean they're dead. It just means that they're dormant, um, and that they will green up again. So, sometimes that yellowing doesn't mean death, but if it, the heat loss, the water loss goes on long enough, then the plants will actually die. Um, now, trees, of course, really can This can be a huge problem for trees if they're undergoing so much stress from lack of water. Some of them will actually just go uh, get ready for fall. Like they'll just start dropping, they'll start shedding foliage uh, in an effort to conserve uh, water because obviously they're losing water out of the surface of their leaves. So when it gets excessively hot, many of the vegetable crops stop producing. We, we don't see flowers. Uh, plants like tomatoes, squash, peppers, melons, cucumbers, even beans, they just drop their, their blossoms. If assuming they have flowers, they just drop them off in the heat. So some of the cool season crops like broccoli end up going to flowers. We call that bolting when they go to flower. So you know it's, it becomes a real challenge when it comes to producing quality uh, crops, fruits and vegetables. Um, um, and we've had questions, and I'm sure we'll have more, about blossom end rot. It's a it's very common during hot weather. We see that on tomatoes, peppers, and even the squashes.
1: So, Charlie, how, how can folks help their plants and veggies during their really, really warm temps? Well,
2: there's not a lot you can do about those hot temperatures, but, of course, you can get out there with your hose. Um, now, plants in containers, of course, are going to struggle even more, being above ground and being planted into a container mix. So additional watering is Absolutely important for any newly planted plants or any uh, potted plants, um, and you'll you'll see that as well in the water restrictions that municipalities will often have uh, instituted, saying you know no watering your your trees and lawns, etc. There's always a little sidebar that says. Newly planted sod or newly planted plants can be watered. Um, so water, water, water. Remember mulching. So that's the two to four inches deep of, a, of an organic, usually a crushed bark mulch, helps conserve moisture, keeps the plants cooler. Um, shade covers. Sometimes uh, people will have, have the ability to, to provide some shade over their plants. Again, that will help conserve moisture. And container plants, not only watering daily, but sometimes watering twice a day when it's this hot so thoroughly soaking uh, in your pots, particularly until water comes out the drainage holes, and and the advantage, of course, of potted plants is you can move them into a shadier spot when it's really really hot, and again that will help with water conservation.
1: Okay, I'm dying to find out what's going on on your property right now, but we're just about running out of time for this segment, and uh, we'll return in moments. Just a reminder: this show is a recorded program. We actually recorded it last Tuesday, and we'll be telling you we we need your emails for next week's show but we'll get to that a little later on charlie dobbin coming up of course
0: here on the garden show on zoomer radio don't change stations just because the weather changes garden tips and advice all year round this is the garden show with charlie dobbin exclusively on zoomer radio well okay uh, just before we get to our first email charlie let me
1: remind folks we do need your emails uh, for next week's show so if you would please pop along a little question and send it to Charlie Dobbin and here's the email address for her. It's c. c.dobbin that's d-o-b-b-i-n at mzmedia.com and thank you very much. Okay uh, first question comes in from Diane Cavanaugh she says uh, hi and thanks to both of you for continuing your show through the pandemic I have a of climbing hydrangea that I moved from a fence to my honey locust tree, the plant's three years old and the tree 40 years old. Do you think this would cause any issues with the tree? We've had it for 35 years, and we'd like to keep it as healthy as possible. Best regards, Diane.
2: Um, and Diane sent a picture along with this question, too. Uh, and you can see that she's got the, the climbing hydrangeas established at the base of the tree and just starting to climb up the bark of the honey locust. You know, <clears throat> I'm. it's a, kind of a good question. It shouldn't be a problem. Um, I'm not a huge fan of plants growing on plants, because ultimately the plant that's acting as the um, anchor for the, the vine will have it will be impacted to some extent. Uh, if nothing else, there's the root um, competition going on at the base of the plant. There's also the fact that as the honey locust grows up, uh, eventually it's going to get big enough. It's going to be up into the, the branches up high and it will start impacting the ability of leaves to grow because of the hydrangea will, will shade out uh, leaf growth. But you know what? A 40 year old honey locust is a, is a pretty big plant and, um, a climbing hydrangea is a gorgeous vine. It is not parasitic. It will not suck any juices out of that honey locust. It will strictly, like I say, provide a certain amount of competition for moisture at the base and a certain amount of shade at the top. But you, uh, if what I would do, Diane, is I would uh, enjoy it, love it, be prepared to do some trimming on that climbing hydrangea to keep it tidy. Um, it, they do tend to be vigorous once they get going. So um, just make sure that, that the honey locust doesn't suffer as a result of that. That vine growing on it. But yeah, it should should look actually quite gorgeous, so good idea.
1: Okay. Uh, Catherine James from Whitby writes in, Hi Charlie and Frank, listen to your show weekly and wonder if you could suggest how I cut back these two plants. They're taking over my garden. Last (laughs) fall I did cut them back substantially. However, this season they have grown beyond last year's growth. Can you (laughs) suggest how I and when to trim these two plants so that other plants can prosper as well. In fact, I took a look at the pictures, Charlie, and boy, they are quite bushy. They look pretty healthy, too, don't they? They
2: look great. I mean, the subject of this particular email is Arctic Fire Red Twig Dogwood. So it's a dogwood that gets, uh, the new growth is bright red, and of course we love that in the winter. And the other is plant she's talking about is another dogwood called Ivory Halo. So that's the variegated leaf. It also tends to have a fairly red stem. I think, I agree with you, Frank. First thing I looked at the pictures, I went, they look great. <laughs> like they're, they're quite beautifully shaped and full and, and all that stuff. Um, but because remember, the bottom line is you can only fight plants. Like when a plant is happy and healthy, vigorous it grows like it's not going to just stop growing the natural shape natural size of both these dogwoods is about four feet wide and four feet tall so every year if uh, Catherine does what she did now I would do my trimming back not in the fall I would do it in the spring because in the winter you want to see those beautiful twigs they can be very very pretty against the snow etc in the spring though you're going to do some very hard pruning you're going to do it every single spring You're going to bring those plants down, you know, to, you know, a foot and a half, maybe two feet tall, even less. And uh, I would avoid shearing them. It looks to me like she has sheared them. So start by, I guess, basically shearing and cutting them down, but then go in there and thin them out a bit. Keep the fertilizer away from them. That will slow down the growth. If maybe she's doing a good job feeding all her plants, these guys are getting fed, which is adding to their vigor. And, um, and you know, you, you're just not going to win in a sense. You're, they're going to want to be four feet tall and four feet wide. Um, and, and happy plants will get to that by the end of the summer every year. So maybe move some plants that are too close. Uh, recognize that you know if if the dogwoods are impacting some of the other garden plants then move like she's got some hostas and things there, just in the fall or the spring move them away give those dogwoods their chance to to shine because they really are quite gorgeous plants and and i think you're doing a good job looking after them personally
1: excellent okay um i love this next little note from you charlie Uh, We love tips. That was based on a little uh, comment from Margaret Robinson about Japanese beetles. Mm -hmm. She says, hello, Charlie, I think I have a solution for Japanese beetles. One teaspoon of garlic powder mixed with one liter of water when sprayed onto the beetles, it puts them into a daze. And then you can just shake them off and they don't fly away. Works for me. <laughs> Have you heard of that one before?
2: Well, no, but garlic is very commonly used as, um, it's more of a deterrent than anything. Like garlic won't kill most insects, but it's it's not uh, something that uh, insects like. So they, you know, if they taste it they're not going to like it um and japanese beetles are voracious eaters so by spraying the and and like i said and garlic will not hurt the plants so whatever you're spraying with the garlic water is is going to be fine the japanese beetles generally speaking they're pretty dozy anyway i find and they're they're just so busy having orgies that the last thing (laughs) they do is ever try and fly away anyway they're just crazy they get together in those gangs and they, they uh you know Uh, there you are you just have to yes absolutely scoop them grab your your little can of water with a drop of oil in it or a drop of soap and just scoop those beetles in Uh, i know some people don't want to touch them but they they're not they won't you know they're just little beetles they're not like slimy or squishy or anything they're they're crunchy little very pretty beetles actually very shiny and uh, attractive they're almost like little jewelry but they do a lot of damage in the garden so thank you for your tip Anybody got good tips? Send them on in.
1: You got it. Okay. Now, on a completely different subject entirely, this morning about. 4.30 Four thirty in the morning, I woke up, and what was on my mind was your property, and I'm wondering uh, that the snakes at the back of your property. I I woke. I can't think of the term you once <laughs> used, and um, I I googled snake pit, gave me about fourteen different movies to watch, <laughs> but it sounds like something Iberium. I I am I even close? What the <laughs> close? Sort of close. It's
2: called a hibernaculum.
1: Ah, there so, you go.
2: It's a big rock pile. And you know what I think it is? It's um, way back when this was farmland, the farmer dug a, a pond. And when the pond was dug, that pile is the pile of rocks that came out of the ground for the pond, for livestock, likely. And um, and so it's just this big, huge pile of rocks. Things are growing in the rocks and a whole bunch of wildlife lives in the rocks as well. Yeah, my, my landscape is quite interesting. I have a lot of wildlife. I've got little toads all over the place. And I think I, I, finches, I can't tell you. I've got hundreds of finches enjoying all the weeds that are going to seed in my, all my landscape.
1: <laughs> uh, we're going to be returning to uh, more comments from Charlie, of course, answering your emails. But also, uh, just a, a, a warning, a heads up, a sad note we'll pass along to you when we return. Uh, from Charlie Dobbin and the family there in Prince Edward County. More to come here on The Garden Show from Zuma Radio.
0: Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zuma Radio. Well, okay,
1: just before taking our break, I uh, let loose with a little uh, warning that... Uh, now, Charlie's got some bad news uh, on the home front there in Prince Edward County. Well, uh, your little cat, Mist. Huh?
2: Yeah, sad news about Mist. Mist is a, was a feral cat that adopted us, and we ended up adopting him. And that all started, gosh, years ago, because he was a wild cat. Like, you, you couldn't, he wouldn't even make eye contact with people. So... It took many, many years and many cold winters and me building him little houses for the winter and then eventually him coming into our house on cold days and cold nights. And then when we moved here, he even moved with us. So he's just been a, a really sweet, sweet cat who um, had so many, so many um, health issues. Uh, we had him neutered. We had rotten teeth removed. Uh, he ended up with a mouth infection that ended up being just an incurable mouth infection. He, de- he developed diabetes. He, de- he ended up with FIV, which is a feline version of HIV. So, so many compromised health issues. Uh, I, um, you know, loved him to death, miss him like crazy, but we did have him put down this uh, past uh, week. And uh, he's buried... Back, back near the hibernaculum <laughs> in the back 40.
1: So. <laughs> oh, for gosh sakes. Yeah, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. a couple of times mm-hmm. when I visited you at your house in Richmond Hill. And he was just a darling mm. little guy. Really, really was. Well, that's sad, but uh, I'm, I'm glad, to, you know, he's now taken care of. Okay, uh, let's get back to our emails here now. Uh, Linda Van Eid from uh, Selkirk on the shore of Lake. Here he writes... Not all of the tomatoes have these saw picks. They're like tiny little black spots on the tomatoes. Uh, it's sandy soil. If you could tell me what I could do to prevent all the tomatoes from getting these spots, thank you. And I really enjoy your show. That's from Linda Van Eed.
2: Yeah, thanks for that, Linda. And so yeah, hmm. It could be one of three things. <laughs> so it's a bit I can't be absolutely definitive. The what happens is the tomato fruit gets these little dimpled indents on the surface of the fruit, which eventually become little black spots. And those little black spots increase in size up to like even the size of a dime or larger. And like I said, it could be one of three things. It could be something called bacterial speck, it could be bacterial spot, or it could be bacterial canker. Probably it's bacterial speck. So What's good about that is that, um, bacterial spec starts on the leaves and then moves to the fruit. So, of course, Linda can go and check the leaves on her tomato plant, see if she's got any little black specks on the leaves, check the stems of your tomato plants. If you have no specks on the stems, but you do have specks on the leaves, then you can certainly suspect that that's bacterial speck. If you've got spots on the stems and leaves and fruit, then we suspect something called bacterial canker. Um, If it is bacterial speck, the good thing is it is harmless. The, the tomatoes will taste fine. They just don't look very nice. Uh, so they're perfect for canning uh, or, you know, cooking, making a gazpacho or something yummy like that. Uh, just they, they're kind of unsightly. Um, ways to avoid any of these bacterial uh, diseases. So speck, spot and canker. There are no there's no antibiotics for plants, so you're not going to go out there with any kind of a chemical. But you can avoid these bacterial problems by keeping the water, of course, off the plants. Only water the ground. When you're planting your tomatoes, do not overcrowd them. Make sure they got lots of room to grow, lots of air, lots of sun. You'll have fewer bacterial problems. And Remember good garden hygiene, so always clean up, remove any um, spray. Speckled leaves uh, in the fall, remove all the plant material. If you suspect a bacterial disease, do not keep that material on the property. Do not compost it. Either burn it or send it off to the landfill. Um, and then when it, it's, the crazy thing about bacterial diseases is that sometimes it's in the seeds, So you don't know that the seeds look fine when you plant them in the spring. Uh, So always, always get your seeds from reliable suppliers. And then, if you if you're keeping seeds, like if you're a seed saver or a heritage seed grower, and you keep your seeds, there are a few things you can do to those seeds to ensure that there is no bacteria in them before you plant next spring. And that includes boiling water, uh, it includes vinegar, it includes a whole bunch of sort of different techniques to try and ensure that no bacteria are alive in or on those seeds before you plant them next spring. So, Let me know uh, if you want more information, Linda. Tell me more about these plants. And also, um, if people want more information about seed treatments to avoid bacteria, I'm I'm happy to fill that in another time, perhaps
1: next spring. Okay. Uh, Let me apologize in advance if I mispronounce a name here and butcher your name. Lino Saltiacoglioli Uh, writes, Hello, Charlie. I had a black currant bush full of berries, then the berries started to turn brown. And then the bush is completely brown and dead. Any idea what happened? And how can I avoid this happening to my other bushes? Thank you, Lino.
2: (coughs) Oh boy, so this is going to be a show with a lot of things going wrong.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs)
2: My plants are dying. Um, Okay, (laughs) hard to know for sure exactly because it is always a bit hard um, over email, just like it's hard over the phone to diagnose. Every issue with every plant. It sounds like a disease, a fungal disease called anthracnose. Um, and anthracnose causes it starts with little spots on the leaves. So Lino would know how this this proceeded. Like, okay, so it was full of berries. Everything started to turn brown, and now everything looks dead. So how, it it progressed. It didn't just happen overnight. So assuming that we, it started with little spots. The little spotted leaves defoliated, fell off the plant, the crop, the bear, the berries current started to also get spots, uh, everything sort of started to go downhill. <clears throat> the main thing to do, again, is go back to your good garden hygiene rules. Any fungal diseases, any leaves with fungal diseases need to be removed from the property, burned, or bagged um remember as well we avoid diseases by giving plants lots of space so make sure that if you're planting black currants they're three to five feet apart you've got to have that sun and air getting in there Um, Mulching, mulch to control weeds, mulch to control moisture. Remember, fertilize always in the spring. So you've got this. It, this is a hard summer. Plants have suffered with all this heat, all this wind, and all this drought. So mulching this year would have been one of the most important things you could have done, and and can still do to keep your plants happy and healthy. So what are you going to do next year? <clears throat> First off, you're going to clean everything up. You're going to cut that black currant right down, clean up all the debris, uh, and then keep an eye on the plant next spring. I mean, you are going to fertilize next spring. You're going to recognize this plant needs a minimum or roughly an inch of water every week, right from bloom time to harvest time. So... Wa- lock, lack of water can stress plants big time and then um yeah watch if you start seeing any spots get out a fungicide there are lots of good fungicides out there that can be used on currents liquid form powder form follow all the instructions never spray anything on a hot hot day at high noon so keep your spraying for early
1: morning and late afternoon okie dokie uh- here, oh, uh, here's a note from Anne uh, Ottaway. I believe we heard from her before, uh, from Wyoming, Ontario. So I made me look it up again just to refresh where the heck that was. Lampton County, immediately east of Sarnia. In fact, it's the seat of Lampton County. But anyway, Anne writes, uh, Hi, Charlie and Frank. Thank you for the continued airing of the Garden Show. I have a PG hydrangea that needs some shaping and is quite bare at the bottom. And the left side has a branch break off can I prune this back a bit The Bush is probably about four years old. The blooms look great. There you are.
2: <laughs> yeah. And Anne sent a photograph. So probably what happened is it started as a shrub and then uh, branches got longer and heavier and, you know, the flowers are big, so they provide a certain amount of weight. And um, And what she's ended up with is a kind of a misshapen plant. I wouldn't do anything right now. It is blooming right now. I would let it do its thing, even though it is kind of a bit of a, you know, what we might call a Charlie Brown tree, a bit bit odd looking. However, uh, what I would do is, I'd leave it alone all winter, uh, next spring. I would prune it as a standard. The PG hydrangeas can be grown as a, a shrub, so multi-stemmed, or grown as a standard. So a standard is a single stem. It's like a little short tree. So she's already got a single stem happening. She needs to remove a side branch next spring, which will provide that naked stem at the bottom. It'll only be about a foot tall. And then prune everything else back. So you've got a more of a a compact head on that little standard stem. And next year, again, she should get proper flowering all around. But you can be pretty hard on PG hydrangeas in the spring. You can cut them back a long ways, you know, like Literally, um, take a third to a half off that plant, and it will just grow right back. And, and remember, you are the boss. You decide what you want that plant to grow like. Um, but do your pruning in the spring. All right?
1: Okay. Yep. Uh, off the top of the show, you'd mentioned you'd had some rain uh Uh, yesterday. Now, a a reminder, we recorded this show last Tuesday, but I'll tell you, here on the farm, just near (laughs) Newark, we were... I I thought I was going to have to do the show from a canoe. It (laughs) was... Holy mackerel. We we were
2: joking about that yesterday. (laughs) It was like, oh my God, are you still... Are you above water or what? You got deluged. I think the whole Toronto area did. I didn't get deluged. We had a little bit of rain, um, so that would have been on Monday, but we had a good multi-hour rain on Sunday, gentle rain, which was just wonderful. So happy. We've just been so dry out here. But yeah, my son, my son sent a video from Etobicoke up in a, up in a condominium up whatever ninth floor, I think he's on. And he was like, Whoa, it was like a tornado going past his condo. <laughs> it was just raining like a sheets of water. I and mean, like you said, it was like somebody's standing on the roof pouring pails of water down. Like uh, one extreme or the other, it seems, in Ontario yeah. these
1: days. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Shirley's sister, Betty, came over to, for a visit. And uh, during this downpaw, uh both the gals said, oh, my God, look at that. You know what arrived on the farm, actually, on the pond, right across from from our log cabin, uh-huh. uh, across a, a pretty good sized pond. You've been out here. Yes. There was a, a an American bald eagle wow. that that landed in a treetop, and those things are huge. Wow! Gotta have a wingspan of about six feet, I think. Uh, and I, I actually looked it up, and yeah, it's uh, they're sort of indigenous through North America uh, and including Canada, and is Kind of an exciting time. And the thing just sat there on the top of a tree through all of that downpour. Oh, really? finally flew away about six o'clock in the evening. Yeah, uh, it was, unbelievable. And it was traveling
2: alone. It wasn't like a family or anything. So maybe it was a no. y- young eagle that was out on its own. Huh, interesting, but it was so big.
1: Yeah, oh, gull. Yeah, it was uh, pretty darn exciting. Uh, anyway, uh, just as we... Uh, I'm just taking a look at... Oh, okay, we can fit this question in here, I do believe.
2: Oh, wait, maybe... Maybe what we should do is fit in a reminder on how to get a hold of me. So we have lots of good
1: questions for next week's show. Absolutely, Charlie. Good for you. Yeah. So write your email to Charlie Dobbin. And here's her address because we want your question for next week's show. It's c.dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com dot com we'd appreciate that very much this of course uh, necessitated by the fact that we can't go in the studio yet we've been out of there since what march 15th and i'm dying to do a show with you live so (laughs) see (laughs) i miss you yeah yeah miss that smile Anyway, we've got to take a little bit of a break right now, and uh, we'll get things organized. Come back and answer more questions. At least Charlie will. And I'll do my best to read your uh, emails properly. Okay? So, you are listening to The Garden Show. Stay tuned. Charlie coming right back here on Zoomer Radio.
2: Daffodils and daisies. Bluebells and begonias.
0: Forsythia and foxgloves, Marigolds, magnolia. Lavender and lupins. Dahlia's, delphinium's. Stalks, fox, hollyhocks. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: Well, okay, we're back in action here on Zoomer Radio, The Garden Show on the air. I'm Frank Proctor, and you're going to hear next from Charlie Dobbin, who will answer a question sent in by Leslie Morgan of Brampton. Says, hi, Charlie, love your show. Every year, these strange mushrooms pop up in the same place near a tree. was taken down a few years ago. They're hard as a rock and difficult to dig up. Any ideas? And I I looked at the pictures. God, they look ugly,
2: <laughs> like tumors growing in the lawn. Yeah.
1: Ooh. Okay.
2: Okay, but but that's exactly what's going on, right? So she she tells us right there where a tree was taken down a few years ago. So under the lawn the roots are still there from that tree so the everything above ground disappeared and probably a stump grinder was used even to grind up the stump and that takes the the stump down about eight inches below soil level and then there's those roots and those roots are slowly but surely decomposing and guess who's doing all that decomposing bacteria all kinds of microorganisms and fungi so what you're seeing are what are called the fruiting bodies of the fungi so underneath there's all the what we call the mycelium so all the the threads of the fungus Uh, and then what pops up above ground is what where this how the spores are dispersed for more fungus to grow so, yes, they're ugly, difficult to dig up. I wouldn't even waste my time trying to dig them up, but but they will um, kill the lawn. So, yeah, the challenge is, and I, I used to have this long, long, many years ago in Richmond Hill where trees had come out and fungi kept growing up into the lawn. And I would send my son out with a golf club and say, go practice your swing, and uh, and get them get them knocked off that way. So you know, Leslie, if you've got any anybody uh, that, that's got lots of energy in your family who wants to go out there and and whoop them off with a golf club or a hockey stick, go for it. Digging them up, you're wasting your time. But certainly, you can take them so that they're not above ground and and being unsightly and causing a certain amount of distress to the turf in that area. Underground, let it happen. You will see fewer mushrooms as the. Uh, roots are finished; their decomposition. It can take you know ten or twelve years, but eventually, it
1: the, the fun the mushrooms will stop growing. Okay, uh, now this this next email made me smile uh, <coughs> for two reasons. When when, when we do that when we do the show using only emails, it's amazing what people uh, send in. Uh, sometimes expecting a lot for (laughs) the money. (laughs) Uh, Marcia is a perfect example of this. Uh, I'm only kidding, but from Kleinberg, she writes, Hi, Charlie. We have a lot of creeping Charlie in the lawn, despite having Weed Man applying Fiesta and fertilizer. It is increasing. She sent you a photo. Uh, Front lawn, she says, is the septic field. What's your advice? cannot core aerate because the sprinkler system is too shallow and a previous attempt punched holes all over it It was a fall-over seeding work. Do we need to start over and replace the sod? If so, what kind of prep work is needed? Do we need to eradicate existing weeds first? Should we just accept it and let it go, forgetting about Weed Man altogether? Would another product be more effective, i.e., should we chop around for another company? And if so, who might you recommend? And what questions should we ask? Thank you so much. I'm a longtime listener to your program and podcast and value your advice, Marcia Lomas. Who must have heard one question per caller? Many, times. <laughs> but when it comes to emails, nothing stops them. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of what we need is a, sort of a whole show, probably devoted to lawn care and turf care, because yeah. you know, you, like, there's a whole bunch of issues going on here. Um, okay, so to start with she's got weeds growing over top of a septic um, tile field, so over the the septic tile field. Um, So it's a big open area um, because we never plant on top of septic systems except usually lawns. And what's happened, of course, is that the probably... The heat, the sun, because it's a very open, sunny spot, has caused the turf to go dormant. Weeds are taking advantage. Uh, Creeping Charlie has moved in. Her weed support people, her her weed man uh, hired in people, are using something called Fiesta. Now, Fiesta is supposed to work. Uh, it is definitely supposed to work. It's completely you know, legal in Ontario. Um, it, it is completely effective, particularly on young weeds. So this is part of the issue is that it's got to be used early in the season you can do this yourself you don't need to hire somebody to do this weed control for you um <clears throat> so will fall overseeding work yes i would always always recommend and i bet you absolutely everybody across canada but for sure ontario who has a lawn is going to be out there this fall top dressing and overseeding because everybody's lawn will have suffered with all this heat and all this drought and all this extreme sunshine. So if you can get a a half an inch of topsoil over those areas, what do you do with all that creeping Charlie? I mean, perfect world, you dig it up, but uh, you're not going to have an easy time doing that because it's a very big space to do it. Um, We want our turf to be as healthy as possible and vigorous so it can outgrow any weeds that blow in. So you're at that spot where you want to get rid of the weeds and then get that that lawn, you know, invigorated, some soil, some seed, some fertilizer, all those things will help the, the um, turf get back in shape. And yeah, I mean, you may have to do some spot spraying with some more Fiesta spot spraying even with horticultural vinegar all those those herbicides will work better on young weeds so get you know get on it as soon as you can the older they are the tougher they are the harder they are to kill and uh, those are perennial weeds that will be back there bigger and better than ever next spring so if you can't get killing those weeds this summer and fall
1: Make sure they're a high priority for next spring. All right, good luck. (laughs) All right. Uh, Next note from Jean Brown. Uh, She also included a couple of photos. Says, "Uh, hi, Charlie. I enjoy your show each week. Thanks. I'm wondering why my hydrangea only has four blooms this year. The plant's about 20 years old and has always had many blooms until now although it seems very healthy. And you can see from the photos that, well, last mm. year, boy, it really looked uh, great. This mm. year, quite a difference. Not so good. What right. do you think?
2: So, well, I think, um, you know, she's right on that. that 20 years old, tells me that it could be an old variety of hydrangea that only bloomed on new wood or sorry, old wood, like uh, growth from the year before, or the newer types of hydrangea that bloom on both new growth and old growth. So she's right on that cusp. It's hard to know. Endless Summer was the first hydrangea that was uh, introduced into the marketplace about 20 years ago as a hydrangea that was going to keep blooming throughout the entire summer. And based on her experience last year, I think she probably has that that variety of hydrangea. And you know what? Don't Don't be upset when a plant doesn't give you masses of flowers every year it's quite it takes a lot of energy for plants to produce flowers so when you have a year with lots of flowers chances are you'll have the following year with fewer and then expect again a big floriferous year next year that's the way it works with Apple trees, hydrangeas, roses. Everybody's everybody's got their good. Their years of big flowers and years of not so many. So, don't. I wouldn't panic. Just stay on the watering, keep up the care you've been giving it, and expect it to be looking much more colorful
1: next year. Okay. Uh, just before we take our, our final break, a little question for you, Charlie. You know, everybody is getting pretty tired of the self-distancing thing, you know. So do you you and Elliot have a few friends you get together with or are you a couple of hermits in hiding, as it were? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, we've been pretty much cocooned. Um, Elliot's, Elliot's not a super outgoing guy, and he's a bit anxious about this whole COVID thing. But mm. I've been out and about, as you know, making the TV show. And uh, big excitement, I and I have a date with my dad tomorrow. Uh, so oh. that's the first time I'm going to actually see my father face-to-face in four and a half months. So we're, we've got a dinner date.
1: I'm quite looking forward to it, and I'm sure he is, too. Oh, that's great. I'm happy for you both. Okay, Uh, we'll return in moments to Charlie Dobbin, The Garden Show, here on Zoomer Radio.
0: Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: Well, okay, Frank Proctor back here, along with Charlie Dobbin, of course. It's The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. But, but. Uh, just oh, yes. sorry
2: to interrupt, but before we get in back into some email, uh, we just left off with me telling you whether I was living in a hermitage or not. What about you and Shirley? What are you guys doing? Are you well,
1: getting out and about? <laughs> well, we're not so much getting out and about, uh, but we've been welcoming a few friends here to the farm. And because it's we've you've seen the deck, it's long and, and wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been able to distance pretty well, like 15 feet, for gosh sakes. Uh-huh. So... About three or four people that uh, we know very well, and and uh, we trust the fact that they have been self-isolating, you know. So we have we have uh, met a few folks. So, uh, but I'm telling you, I'm getting darn sick of it, <laughs> brother.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I think everybody sort of has their bubble, yeah. right? You've got. Your, your immediate family, but then you've got the, the extended yeah. group that become part of your bubble. And yeah, a, it comes down to trust and uh, <clears throat> and limiting. Obviously, we limit where we go and who we hang That's with.
1: That's right, yeah. Okay, a note from Norm Krohn. Say, so, hi, Charlie. My cousin has a problem with his sunny front garden where he has successfully grown calla lilies for about 30 or 40 years. His home is in Mississauga, located not far from the Square One area. Now, each fall... He digs and stores the bulbs and replants them the next spring. On occasion, he's had up to 100 in bloom all at the same time. Wow. Last year, for the first time, they were a total failure. The leaves just appeared to completely rot off the ground level just before they bloomed, and when dug up, the bulb was also mushy and rotten. Is there something, if there was anything left of them at all? He salvaged some bulbs from another garden at the back of his home last fall and replanted them this spring in his front yard. Same thing happened again this year. The plants have come up, then they've all rotted off at ground level. They have not been overwatered. From the pictures, you can see how dry the ground has been in the garden this year. Have any idea what's happened and how it can be avoided in future? I I took a look at the pictures myself and boy, they're exactly as Norm told the story. It's a terrible mess.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You don't often see people growing calla lilies with such uh, in such large quantities. And this was obviously a pretty important part of his landscape. I mean, it's right across, looks like the front of the property uh, at sort of a sidewalk or street level. So, okay, here's what I know about calla lilies. And uh, just generally speaking, if you're going to grow calla lilies, you got to remember that these are actually plants that do like a fair amount of water. They need to be kept consistently moist because they are not drought tolerant. Uh, They prefer partial shade when it's really hot because that helps keep the moisture in the soil. They are best in a soil that's got a high level of organic matter it is a fairly moist but well-drained soil. They do not ever want to sit in a soggy soil. So, the, and, and it sounds like um, Norm's cousin has been doing this for a long, long time. He says, like 30 or 40 years. So he, he does know what he's doing with the callas. Now, all of a sudden, when they all just turn to mush automatically you've got to suspect that there is a, a disease has happened it's a probably a fungal disease it's probably in his soil now and it's causing that rot so what do you do well i would try and um Keep what you can, keep what is seems firm, dig up uh, what is not mushy, whatever's mushy is going into the, really not, again, you don't want to keep this kind of stuff on the property. It shouldn't even go into the compost because you don't want those fungal spores being reintroduced back into your, into your gardens. But I would, for now, well, obviously he's going to dig up to go put them away for the winter, but next spring I wouldn't put any in the ground. I'd put them only in pots, and I would try growing them in sterile, brand new potting soil and see what what you can do, see what comes up. Keeping in mind, you need that consistent watering, um, uh, but well drained. And of course, most potting soils are soilless mixes, and they're designed exactly for that uh, to be you know moist and well drained. So I would start an experiment where all the whatever catalysts he's got to work with, each one gets its own pot. They're all kept separate, and and be careful with tools back and forth. You don't want any infections being shared between. Just in case he can come up with a some healthy. Cal is in that group and then go from there start going get back in business with the healthy ones and get rid of the the diseased ones and probably not back in the ground at all sorry
1: okay uh, just glancing at the clock here i think we've got time for one more question and here it comes this is from jane pitt who has sent you a picture mm-hmm. of uh, a roma tomato mm-hmm. it has a black bottom with green above she says it has not yet matured to red The other four tomatoes growing in the same plant are completely green at the moment. I do not believe that the black is rot, but I could be wrong. If it were a lack of calcium, wouldn't the other fruit display the same coloring? I'd appreciate your thoughts. Thanks, Jane.
2: Yeah, I, I. it does look like blossom end rot. It is a, an odd looking because it's half and half. Usually blossom end rot is just on the tip of the tomato. But um, yeah, remove, destroy uh, water. It's been a very hard year to keep the moisture levels h- consistent. Remember, I keep saying this consistent moisture thing because with the drought, the heat... Uh, tomatoes all of our vegetables need need and continue to need consistent moisture so there's going to be lots of blossom end rot on not all your tomatoes just a few are going to show it when they do compost don't worry about it carry on get to, get your watering uh schedule happening so that you can avoid any more of that on any of your other tomatoes uh, they don't taste very good when they've got the blossom end rot going on so uh
1: compost All right. Thank you. All righty. Just a sec. I just want to give a little shout out to Dolores Rednick. We haven't got time to read your question this week, but we will next week, Dolores. And I've made a little note to myself that this is such a delightfully written little email. Uh, folks are going to get a kick out of it. So <laughs> make sure you tune in next week to catch the Garden Show here on Zuma Radio. And a reminder, we do need more emails. So please send your questions along to Charlie Dobbin at Dobbin. D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com.
2: Hey, Frank. Thanks so much for that. And we'll all look forward to hearing from Dolores next week and lots more listeners, I hope. Thank you, Joel, for all your help. And again, thanks to all our listeners for their great questions. See you all
0: again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.